Welcome to another episode of Talking with Kevin and Son, where we showcase people you should know. Now, let me take you back a little bit. My guest, born in Harlem, New York, our guest was exposed to music early on in his life. Our guests used to wake up to the sound of Congo drums and cowbells being played on the fire escapes in Spanish Harlem, New York. Listening to the top 10 songs being played by a DJ during the summer on his AM radio, he used to wake up and watch the Beatles and other groups on the Ed Sullivan Show. Does this sound like an intro to a Hollywood feature film? Well, the music and the entertainment industry has had his eyes on this man, young man, since he was a little boy. So much he used to sit outside and listen to the music and, the, and watch the entertainers come and go of clubs like the Coca Cabana, the Cotton Club. He was too young to go in, but he was old enough in order to love the music. Our guest as an adult has been all over the world, and the music has molded him and, and transported him to the story that we're about to hear. No one ever talks about uh, the life of a person on the road known as a roadie. But today, we have a story that needs to be told, a story that should be told, a story that maybe should be a Hollywood feature film. Before I go on to welcome my guests, I want to first say and take care of a little business. All right? This episode of Talking With Kevin and Son and the People You Should Know is brought to you by RMK Productions and the 10 United Podcast Network. Our mission is very simple. Through the power of our voice and our story, we want to uplift, inspire, share our stories and experiences, and create a framework of teaching, learning, and modeling. Our purpose is very simple. Hope. Helping other people every day. So ladies and gentlemen, it sounds like a story is too good to be true. It sounds like we're going to tell the stories and the secrets of a roadie. And maybe that may happen. If you stay in long enough, tune in. We'll talk about some of the feature groups that he's been part of. Ohio Players, Lionel Richie. Um, uh, you you name it. I, I'm going to list. I mean, he's got a list of so long. I, I can't even say them all day long. But I want to welcome our guest. His legal name is Douglas Stewart Gray. We know him as Stewart. Welcome to Talking With Kevin and Son. How you doing, Stu? Well, thank you, Kevin. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. And um, this is a long time coming. Yes, yes. Uh, we've been uh, uh, family for a long time. Uh, and uh, sometimes now we're meeting. You know, sometimes your family is extended until now, you know, we should have, we, we've been parallel in this music life and family for a long time. I want to thank the organization and your podcast members and I want to say hello to all listening and watching. Uh, please forgive me. I'm a, uh, on September 8th. This is uh this is today's the 2nd of October and September Eighth, it just passed. I turned sixty-eight years old. Let, let's not date the show already. Let's yeah. not date. Because um, <laughs> I, I know your your music uh, life started probably the day you came out of the womb. You know, I, I want to take us back before you became a roadie, sure. and explain to people what a roadie is. A roadie is the 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 real team, the first team that sets up, 
that make sure that um, our entertainers, you know, members of um, the Commodores, members of the Ohio players, members of Scott, um, the OJs, member of uh, Ray Goodman and Brown, and some some of these other associations you have, they get there on time, make sure their luggage gets there on time, gets the stage set up, do the sounds checks. People don't know what goes on behind the scenes. So I, I want to talk about you before you became, you know, part of uh, music history. And we'll talk about that at the end of the show, about your, you know, we have now created a um, Hall of Fame for, for roadies, especially Black uh, entertainers. We'll talk about the good and the bad. But I want to know how you came up um, in the business. I want to know your story. Now, let's start, you know, you know, high school, you know, talk about your parents and their interaction uh, with you, who mentored you. So if you don't mind, take us back a little bit, close our eyes and um, let us know who Stuart or Douglas Stuart Gray was before he became a roadie. And then we're going to segue on how you became and got your first job and how that happened. We'll talk about the good and the bad. So go ahead and share that with our audience. Well, fantastic. Uh, I was, uh, I, you know, I was born in 1955, and uh, the music was uh, very organic um, uh, in Harlem, USA. So we had uh, all the radio stations and and all the the entertainers in in our neighborhood. I'm from uptown Harlem, close to Sugar Hill. And uh, when I was younger, I always, I knew I was. I never thought I was better than anybody, but I knew I was different or special. And the first uh, time I realized that I, when I went to, uh, from my school, I brought a white boy home to spend the night, to spend the weekend at my house in Harlem. And at that time, you know, uh, that was kind of a, a no, a no go for, you know, the neighborhood kids that I was hanging with. So I had to almost fight uh, every day, my my friends, until we went to the basketball court. So, uh, you know, moving forward, uh, the, the high school that I went to was Cathedral. I went to a PS28, which is in Harlem, 155th Street and Amsterdam Avenue, which is one of the most famous uh, grade schools in, in, in the city, PS28. And uh, uh, what made it what made it extra famous is um, it was the nucleus and the start of a what's called a drum and bugle corps, which is a military style of a of an organization that plays instruments, live instruments. And I was a snare drummer, so we had a full band and you know all the other instruments. And um, I don't, I didn't read music, but I could imitate anything that I heard almost immediately. And what I heard in imitation, mostly in the radio, was James Brown. James Brown had, in those days, uh, there were some famous disc jockeys and famous radio stations, both on AM and FM. And James Brown, on their list of weekly or monthly lists, James Brown had four records in the top 10 four to six records at a time in the top 10. So, um, and my parents, uh, my, my father was uh, the first wave of African-American uh, city bus drivers in New York City that got good 
city jobs coming out the service. And there was a black African-American, you know, kind of segregated section that our, our depot was uptown at 145th street. You know, my, my father played dominoes and was kind of, you know, one of the favorite guys around and he drove a city bus in New York. And I was the, the kid that sat behind him coming home, you know, on, on his routes, I would get on the bus and sit behind him and watch and roll through neighborhoods, you know, and just watch him just do his thing. And my mother was the assistant to uh, the head, uh, uh, the head man at, at, a, at a health clinic on the corner of 152nd Street and St. Nicholas Avenue. And that health clinic became the the, the 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 breath of the 1199 healthcare workers union um before there was any unionization of healthcare workers um her little clinic started 1199 1199 i think is it is the is the healthcare uh, uh union for nurses and assistants and nurses assistants and my father had every record when my father was a you know, back then records were, you know, very, very obtainable. Wax, and my father had all the Charles Mingus and modern jazz quartets. And uh, my mother was into the Billy Ecksteins and the uh, Cab Calloway and the Joy and the Duke, you know, and the Duke himself. And, you, and of course, you know, none of the kids listening to this knows what a record looks like, right? A wax record, you know, and uh, the first record player that I had had four speeds because the rec were records made in 78 speed, 45 speed, 33 speed, and 16 speed. And we had all the, the all of the intonations of those. We had, I had records that were 78 that were more down south blues, you know, and, and sort of those records looked like they were made from one central microphone in the room, you know, and the scratches and the pops were, you know, and then the 16 records were the slower ones. And, you know, finally the industry made 33 and the third speed, you know, and, but, um, and then like, like you said, uh, so music was always, we were always dancing or, you know, to music was central in everything, going out to block parties, somebody had a record player or was playing music and, um, I remember living in Harlem, uh, going down Seventh uh, Avenue and and and, uh, and and Lenox Avenue in the middle of the summer. People would put their radio speakers outside the windows, and all you can hear were Marvin Gaye, and the Four Tops, and Aretha, and 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 uh, and uh, the. Uh, the gospel, yeah, Amelia Jackson and, you know, the Gladys, you know, and music just everywhere, you know, people carrying radios and so sports and radios, you know, basketball and music kind of went together. Um, another short story on my block. Um, I lived on a, on a block that on, on one side, it was five blocks from 150th to 155th all connected with no cross streets. 
And on the other side were the cross streets, 151, 152. So after, you know, uh, after so many years, I realized that every Christmas, all of the kids on my block got the same presents. We all got, all the kids got 10 speeds one year. All of the kids got uh, skateboards one year. And one year, all of the kids on my block got unicycles. Now, the reason the, reason the mothers made that situation happen because they didn't want her kid stealing a bike from her kid. And having that issue, now I got to go up in your neck because your kid knows, why is your kid? Because he had the better bike. He had a bicycle that you didn't get on Christmas. So it was, and that's a, and that's how a village raises a child. I couldn't do dirt down the street because I'm going to tell your mother six blocks away. I'm like, I can't get away with nothing around here because it's six blocks over here. Ooh, I'm going to tell your father. And, I, you know, so um, the year that we got unicycles, what's the first thing we do after we learn how to ride them? Go to the basketball court. There was a guy named Charles King, an adult, young adult, who no noticed and came and talked to some of the kids. Long story short, that became the King Charles Riders for the Ringling and Brothers Barman Bailey Circus lifetime contract. They played basketball on unicycles from All right. the kids in my neighborhood. Yeah, you know, it, it's amazing that you brought that up. It's not like that any anymore. It used to be, you know, um, you know, you did something wrong. The neighbors caught you before your parents caught you. And then when your parents caught you, you know, you got caught. And um, it was never a dispute of, you know, if you if you did it or not. It's the fact that someone knew you said you did it, but you had to do it. Right. Um, we need to go back to, to developing those type of relationships and having those type of communities um, and, and looking out not only for, for our own children, looking out for the children okay. that within it because it does take a village it does we need to go back to to the old school family values is that where we sit on the porch and we listen to music we understand what the sound of music sounds like instead of uh what is computer generated we need to know what a human voice and what harmony sounds like and what music really feels like when it touches your soul instead of just putting out sound remember the days when music had a message you know when, when you didn't when you didn't have game you played a song to a young lady. She said the same. And fortunately, in our schools, there were instruments we could touch and feel and figure out which one we, we liked the most, which one, which instrument called us and which instrument we attracted to. I picked up the drums and percussion. But in grade school growing up, I played the steel pan, the recorder, and uh, uh, I never picked up a guitar or nothing like that, but it was mostly drums. So mu music had, had your soul a long time and before you. All, yeah, it was too easy. And then, you know, the instruments were there. You know, you could 
in, in, in school, you know, it was part of the curriculum. Touch this instrument, feel this instrument, get a, get a violin, get an oboe, get a trumpet. And then you see the guy down the street. So I hooked up with four guys in my neighborhood and we started, you know, a little combo. And then lightning struck. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Wait a minute. <laughs> lightning, lightning struck? Then now lightning struck. Then, now we're getting all the keys and the secret to the story. But before lightning struck, right. uh, define for us, um, and then we'll come back to the story, because people yeah. want to know, what's a roadie? Well, uh, back in the day, you know, a roadie uh, was a guy who, who any, 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 it was any guy who worked for the performer. Um, it's a, it, it turned out to be a kind of a 24 hour gig. You became, um, an, an assistant to, you know, the powers to be, whether it was, you know, and there was a, uh, a, a ladder of, 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 you know, importance and professional ability. There was a manager and another manager and, you know, and the, and the performer had his, his say of what he wanted to happen. And a roadie was a term uh, kind of made up by probably the more pop groups, you know, the, 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 the uh, from, from England, Rod Stewart's and, and the Who and those bands, they were called roadies. They set up the band, they traveled with the band. Uh, Beach Boys had their roadies live with the band, come live with us. Because you're going to be the part of us that we, the part of labor that we don't want to do. Right, right. We want to sing and play, but we don't want to have to break and 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 tech and tech our stuff down and put it in the, we, you know, it, it, and it and it moved from them assisting to them to to roadies taking over. All right, so we got the definition out of the way. So I want to go back to where lightning struck and. You're starting to warm up. So take us where you were going to take us before. And listeners, enjoy the ride. Lightning struck. Um, growing up in Harlem, I had three godfathers that witnessed my baptism. Uh, they were my father's army friends, buddies. They were the little clique, the posse from that neighborhood. They have names? I grew up with them. They raised me. Uh, my first, one of my godfathers' name was Louis Chisholm. Uh, he turned out to be a dentist. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, I just wanted to make sure when you said Lewis Ch Chisholm, right. I, I did, uh, I did a research. Um, I was a research writer on, on a film that ultimately became, um, it was the Bumpy Johnson story and okay. Chisholm was the person I spent time with in Harlem. That's not your uncle, is it? No, no, that, that wasn't him. He was a straight and narrow a nerd, you know, he wasn't no kind of cool, but he was tall and light skinned and had green eyes. So he was a looker, you know, he was probably, you know, had dusting off, you know, <laughs> he was probably dusting it off on the regular, you know. Yep. And then my other uh, godfather, Richard Dixon, he was my uncle Sookie. He became, uh, uh, he was a travel agent. His business, he after he came out the army, he turned into travel agent, and that travel agency was located in one of the bottom storefront uh, properties in Lennox Terrace. Lennox Terrace was 
uh, upscale middle class residences for Harlem residences and um he was uh and then my other godfather uh was Benjamin Ashburn now my uncle Benny was a brand ambassador for the liquor companies so he was a liquor wholesaler he was dealing with the Cotton Club Apollo Minton's Baby Grand all the little the Red Rooster all the spots where John Coltrane, Miles Davis, uh, Cap Calloway were hanging out. Um, through my godfather's office, I met Betty Davis. Uh oh. To the office, Kevin. <laughs> and, and I was, I had no idea what uh, Daisy Duke shorts are on a female. <laughs> and she came in, her boots, looked taller than me. Then she had nothing but skin and the Daisy Dukes like this much material, <laughs> right? Pockets hanging out of the way the belt line was and raw talking, you know, and my godfather, uh, these guys came up from Alabama, young boys from college. And, uh, my godfather had been dealing with Small's Paradise, which is Wilt Chamberlain's. Wilt Chamberlain had a club in Harlem. I'm familiar. It's called Small's Paradise. Yep. And the reason he called it Small's Paradise because he was a bit taller than anybody else. Right. So, so uh, these kids came in and they had live entertainment. All these clubs, all of these clubs had live entertainment whether it was one guy on the trumpet or a trio or a six, seven piece band flailing away. These guys came up from college and they absolutely were terrible. First time in New York, maybe it was nervousness, the jitters, they didn't have it together, but they talked to my godfather, Benny, and he saw something and said, industry talk. When you get your act together, come back and see me. Uh, sent them back home. Uh, maybe a year later or so, whatever, they came back and knocked on his door. Now, that's rare in any type of industry because in between the time they went back home, anybody else could have gotten in their ear. They could have aimed at somebody in Atlanta. They could have aimed at somebody in Birmingham. They could have aimed at somebody in New Orleans. They came back to New York, probably knowing that this is the place where we have to start this, right? Right. The group turned out to be the Commodores. Lionel Rich and the Commodores. The original drummer got drafted. I remember that. The drummer got drafted to the Army. And my godfather, knowing how much I love music, gave me the drum kit. Wow. So I take the drum kit home. My mother, you know, says, listen, it's either you getting in this room in this bed or the drum kit, but both of y'all ain't living here together, <laughs> right? Get this drum, 
I took the drum kit on my roof. I, I We lived on the sixth floor of our apartment building, which was the top floor of our apartment building and right over the front, right over the front door. I took the drum set on the roof. Now I'm playing on the roof and I'm getting a crowd of kids now. Now our ceiling is cracking from the bouncing. My mother said, get these, right? Um, my godfather takes takes the Commodore straight to Motown. Uh, the story's been told, and uh, I what's, asked, what's the story? Kind of the Commodore story, you know. Um, this is how they got straight to Motown in in Harlem. My godfather knew Suzanne DePass. She was a local A and R person in New York in the East Coast and being in a club situation, my godfather knew Suzanne DePass. Suzanne DePass brought the Jackson 5 to Barry Gordy. Suzanne DePass brought the Commodores to Barry Gordy. We went straight to Motown. Just like it was supposed to be. He didn't, he didn't get any other. He said, okay, Motown, boom. Don't want to talk to nobody else. So now you know the story. Lionel Richie just was the headliner at the King's inauguration coronation in England. Right. So that's our boy. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to Douglas Stewart Gray. We're listening to the, the untold story, the original story of life on the road as a roadie. Um, he has... His name and his presence has been associated with groups like the Commodores, um, the uh, Fatback Boys, GQ, Force MD. I think he's per currently, and you can correct me, um, working with Ohio players. He has worked with the Barquets, Cameo, Sky, New Edition, Bobby Brown, Bev, Biv, and DeVoe, High Five, Najee, Freddie Jackson, uh, Johnny Gill, uh, Rick James, Tina Marie, the OJs, Gerald Levert. Regina Bell, Ashford and Simpson. The name goes on and on. I don't see Gladys named uh, Gladys Knight's name down here, but I see LL Cool J, Karen Usher's name down here, Della Soul, um, the Goody Mob. Um, oh, there's a lot of people. George uh Howard, Ray Goodman and Brown, Keith Sweat, Drew Hill. Oh man, oh man. I thought I met a lot of people in time, but um what was your first job as a roadie? Who gave oh, you right. a how did that come about? Um, I, my mother got a job for me on 125th street. She knew the, uh, the district manager or the head guy for the health education and welfare department, department of social security administration in Harlem is an office building. And uh, she got me a job there as a G1, a male in the mail room club, right? I'm a G1. And, you know, I'm, I'm having to show up, you know, and I have a supervisor. And uh, my godfather took me out of that job. And the first place I ever went down south was Tuskegee, Alabama. And he put me on the road with the Commodores. I was 18, 17, 18 years old. He just knew every time they came... Every time the Commodores came to New York, 
my godfather would send me in the van with them because he didn't have he didn't have to go to these meetings in, in these places, but I knew how to get to them. So instead of him riding around, you know, and 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 that's them asking him questions about where he would give me an address and have me jump in the van. I was in the van the first time they heard machine gun on the radio in New York. On the radio. Right. So we're all in the van together and machine gun comes on. So I'm the little shorty of the crew. You know, when they came to New York, when they opened up for the Jackson Five, Commodores opened up for the Jackson Five. I don't know if anybody knows that. Their first major tour were a bunch of college kids opening up for a bunch of elementary school kids <laughs> and high school kids that were rocking the house, you know. So people wanted the Commodores to get off the stage real quick. You know, the, the Jackson Five was the... Was the, the yeah, they was the shit. So at the at, I went to the show at Madison Square Garden. My godfather grabbed me by the hand. You know things are happening. I'm I'm not aware of, and things are happening, and it's girls screaming, and backstage is busy. Then my godfather grabs me by the hand, opens this door, throws me in, and closes the door behind him, and he goes out, and uh. I looked, I looked at him to see, and when I turned around, it's the Jackson 5. I'm in the room with the Jackson 5. He didn't say anything about, you know, I'm taking you, da, 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 you know, don't say, he just took me, took me by the hand real quick, and he's running and threw me in the room. I'm, hey, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you right, right? Hey, guys. Right. So they, were all in the, they were all talking in a little group, and they went <laughs> the same thing, right? Now all of them are looking at me, and I'm looking at, hey, uh, nice to meet you. And I bolted out the door. I, I don't know what, to, what am I going to say. You know what I'm saying? So uh, right after that, uh, my godfather had two more groups under under his uh, umbrella, called one called Platinum Hook, which is a group from New Jersey. They uh, They had one album on Motown called Platinum Hook, and they remade um, uh, Parliament Funkadelic uh, Standing on the Verge of Getting On. Right. And that group came out of a club called the Cellar Restaurant in New York, which was a famous, again, another famous hotspot. <clears throat> and the thing about the, the Cellar was if you were a musician or a singer, the band knew every song. You're gonna get up on the stage and you're gonna show what you're gonna show people what you could do. Right. In that club, I met Najee, Melissa Morgan, Freddie Jackson, Johnny Kemp, and others. It was the spot where when Stevie Wonder played the garden, he would come to the cellar after the show. Right. So it was full of the young talent. I met Najee, met Melissa Morgan. I toured with them. Um, took my life into other places that I never thought I'd be. And uh, most of my travel has been with word of mouth. All right. So uh, most people grow up and, you know, back in our, our day, the parents used to always ask us no matter what age we were, First conversation is uh, 
what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and it was always, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, uh, or a teacher, or a police officer. I don't think any of us want to be a police officer now, but <laughs> if, if that's the case, a good one. Right. Uh, but it was never, ever, I, until my brother got into the in- industry, right. and uh, I had already graduated from college, and I had given him some some advice, is that he was working with some groups um, from our hometown, Right. You know, uh, you know, Roger Trotman, Slave and all of those people and Ohio players. And I always told him, I said, you know, you, you know, life as an entertainer is short lived. You know, learn how to, you know, go into it, learn how to, to mix music, work the keyboard. And right. That right. way you have a skill that you become employable. Right. And that was. You had a gift that played music so you can do tuning and play drums and can do studio work. Um. But no one ever said, as a career, you can make a living at being a roadie. How do you negotiate your your pay? Because there's some people now that are coming up and that are friends with people in groups. And, you know, they are now coming into that position because I don't think you can go on Indeed and apply for a job of being a roadie for a group. And it'd be my luck to say that it's going to pop up. (laughs) Well, you know, it's very funny that you say that because. Uh, when I got into those bands in 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 early school, um, we'd be getting along, we'd have our little rehearsals, we'd do our thing, and then the guitar player's mother would come and say, "My son's not going to be a musician," and take him out the band. Then we find another guitar player, beat him up, whip his ass, get him straight, you know, rehearse him, and then the bass player's mother. My son's not going to be a musician. You know, this is a hobby. You know, you're right. So what I did was I thought I want to be in the place to be in the room, no matter who's playing. How can I be in the room all the time? But there's a guy over there who's running the sound. And he has to be in that room every night that's who i want to be there you go so I, I took my ego and put it on the side i don't have to play but i because this is this is oh when i'm when i'm filling out my applications for jobs there's no check mark for entertainment or entertainer or musician you know there's what, what have your history been oh I'm a sound engineer. No, where's where that listed on a viable career? You know, you see agriculture, you see chemistry, you see, you know, psychology, you see, you know, making cars, you know, what do you, I, right. and, and like you, Kevin, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I knew one day, hopefully I would even get to New Jersey. I used to look out my front window and say, when am I even going to get to New Jersey? Got to New Jersey. When am I ever going to get to California? My first job was working behind the curtain for the Commodores, standing on top of the dry ice, uh, the dry ice machine to make it look like fog was rolling on the floor and had to drop the dry ice down the chute on cue. I had a cue I had to listen for. (laughs) So it teaches you discipline. 
It teaches you patience and it teaches you focus. Discipline, I got something to do here that's important to the situation. I've seen how it looks out front and I don't want to fuck it up. <laughs> so here's the, so I'm talking to the band, right? Here's the cue. Here's when you drop it. And here's what you do when you get the, when you get the chunks of dry ice in the morning, get a hammer, crack it up, start the thing, make sure the water's hot. I had a job, but I didn't even know I had the job. Now the run at the Apollo theater in those days was Thursday through Sunday with two shows on Saturday and a matinee on Sunday. So that's where you cut your time on the job train. You repeated it and you repeated it and you repeated it. And that's the easiest job in the world to do is to figure out your lane, find the best way to do it and repeat it and repeat it. All right. Well, you know, all that glitters is not always gold. And that's with uh, the real world life. You know, I, I talk about all the time how hard life is. And if life wasn't hard, then everyone else would be doing it. Everyone would be successful. I know life on the uh, as a roadie is not always the most respected position um, in the band. And there's some people that may look down on the fact that, you know, this is how my guitar gets up here. This is how my bass gets tuned. This is the reason why my drums are set up the way it's set up. This is the reason why the schedule, you know, the song list or the playlist is positioned at a point that's convenient or comfortable for um, the lead singer, lead guitar player, whatever people overlook that. Um, there's a dark side to this. And we're going to talk more about the positive. You don't have to name names because I don't want, you know, I, it's not that type of show. Mm -hmm. But tell me the one or two experiences you had in life that you just woke up and just said, not anymore. I, I, I'm I'm done. Or if you've ever gotten to that point or someone treated you so bad that you just had enough. Well, yeah, you know, um, uh, the, the, the you know, I think, listen, any any creative person who's the head of any, any, any business or, you know, industry, so to speak, you know, we have, you know, we have made many, many um, things you can do in life. You know, my, my parents were hard workers. My father told me, as long as you work and as long as your knees and your hands work, you work. Sure. My mother taught me, as long as you're doing something, make it the best. If you're cleaning the street, make it the best street cleaning and somebody's going to notice, you know, um, I started breaking away from my family when I was early uh, in, in, in life because I chose to say yes instead of say no. People offer you things and you know you have a you can't be a you can't be afraid of what you don't know. Right. You know? So um the 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 only the only thing I do regret. And, and listen, it's not just for this industry. It's for every industry that you that you put your heart and your life into. Your family and the people that you love suffer. Our no. industry requires us to be away from our home on Christmases, holidays, bar mitzvahs, graduations, uh, 
those family things that you see everybody else normally do around those days. You know, I can, I, I've been away from my family more Thanksgivings than I've been home for Thanksgiving with my family, with my mother and my brother. I've been away for Christmases and New Year's because you're working. Those are, the, those are the hot days we work, bringing joy to the world. Um, the good part is uh, one of my dear friends who died, his name was Yogi Horton. He was the number one drummer in New York City. He worked for Ashford and Simpson, Luther Vandross, and played all the commercials. He was the number one chair in the union in New York. And he told me when I started, he, he's the, and he's my daughter's godfather. And when I started and we got to talk and he said, Stuart, listen, you are never going to have to go to another party in your life because the party comes to you. The party comes to us. Everybody gets dressed up on Friday, Saturday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, when Luther, Ashford, they all, I did every Budweiser Superfest with Ashford and Simpson. Three shows a week for, for eight years. And wow. Superfest was the most successful African-American music festival in the history of this country. The Budweiser Superfest. Wow. I, I got a funny story to tell you about Ashford Simpson. Um, New York, I'm brand new to New York. I am a working actor on The Guiding Light. That's where I got my start. I had done a couple commercials. At that time, my, my first wife was turning 30 years old, and I wanted to make uh, her 30th birthday special. I went down the street, and the first person I saw was Nipsey Russell. I invited him to um, the party. I wanted to make sure that her party was full of strangers because I wanted to make her comfortable with um, people. And on Park Avenue 54th Street, I met, I saw Ashford and Simpson for the first time in my life. And guess who I invited to the party? Walking the street. Walking the street, I invited Ashford and Simpson. I thirty strangers to a birthday party of someone they didn't know. Nissy Russell showed up. Ashford and Simpson sh showed up. Um, Dougie Doug showed up. These are all strangers. I always said you're only as and strong. You're acting friends. Yep, and you're only as strong as your 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 last no. No one told me no. They were fine. Best party I ever had in my my <laughs> life. Um, and, uh, I, I, and thanks to my brother, uh, Mac Leroy, that, you know, hooked us up. You know, I had always been around um, celebrities growing up in my neighborhood, Ohio players across the street, Lakeside around there, um, Roger Trotman a couple blocks away. I grew up with all, all those guys, so I was never starstruck. Um, I would have been starstruck if I had been in the room with Michael Jackson, because Michael Jackson and Prince are the two people that I've always wanted to meet. And... Um, you know, God welcomed to home long, long before I got a chance to meet them. So I, I do want to ask you this, because I, I know my life has been challenging, um, even though I'm reaping the, the benefits of my hard work. And I know you are, too. Um, if you had to do it over again, would you do it different? You know, I don't, I don't think the universe would have allowed me to do anything different. Um, my 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 mother uh my mother uh I, I buried my mother i'm the i have one brother and um he was younger than me 
Um, I, I didn't, you know, uh, I, I kind of moved out of my house about 16 years old. Um, you know, on my other life, I was actually managing a Baskin Robbins before cut, cutting my last two classes of high school. When I when, when I was living in 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 Manhattan, I worked at the first Baskin Robbins on 125th Street. It was owned by two African American cops, and I got one of the first jobs. Brand new store, brand new everything, brand new. Right, my one of my first you know jobs where I got a clock in and clock out and. Then um, my mother and father split up and we moved to Queens. So when I went, uh, the new the new Baskin Ramos was opening on Jamaica Avenue and I went for the interview. And when I got home, my mother said, "Of you only one that had experience. So you're hired, go right back because they just hired you. Before I got home, I got hired. But I was cutting my last two classes of high school to manage a Baskin Robbins. There was a guy on my block, uh, Ricky Asaf, nicknamed the Honey Man. He had he had he was older than me. He was you know a couple of eight years, and he had graduated from Howard Law School. And I walked by him every day, going to work, and and I, me and him gravitated together because we played basketball, and you know I kind of was a shorty, but I would I would dust off college you know people. I was I was I was all stars on my team. I was. So, but he, he cornered me, he said, Stu, man, I really, really am jealous of you. And I said, why? He said, because here I am, graduated Howard Law School. My last name is Asaf. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm Islam or Arabic, whatever his parents were. He said, I see you walking by here, going to work every day, and I don't have a job. And I, you know, it didn't register with me until later on. You know that that was kind of a thing. You know, I'm I'm working at a, at the ice cream shop, and this guy's family put him through college, but because of his skin. So I never went to college. I never went to college. I I I, I sidetracked that experience because I everything I did was from common sense. Every job I've ever had, I took the trainings. Uh, in in the job at the at the health education the, the um the mail clerk, the guy showed me the machines. I I was a, I was a, a a machine guy. I was a gadget guy. I took apart my 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 family's iron, and my family's transistor radio and put it put it back together. And I see you smiling, and you got three screws three screws left. When your mother said, stop taking apart my, <laughs> right? I'm taking apart the record player to figure out. So I was that curious guy who wasn't afraid to, you know, fail. I took my mother's iron. She could have whipped me with the cord. But they but they bought me an erector set. Now you're feeding what I'm gravitating to, an erector sets. For those of you who don't know, Google it. Erector set was an early 70s kit with metal pieces, metal uh, screws and bolts with yeah. little batteries you can make and, and plans you could read and do those things like that. You, you know what that's called now? It's called STEM, science, technology, engineering, and, and math. In order to um, understand that, you... you 
your brain has to function on a different level in order to erect a set. And that turned into me. Um, my godfather met this guy named, I'm going to mention his name because he's passed away, Stephen Nomberg. The Nomberg name, if you go to Central Park, the Nomberg name is on the band shell where the fountain is. There's a band shell in Central Park called the Nomberg band shell. Denny, after I'm, I'm doing sound now, you know, I'm, I'm graduating from just setting up drums in this, in this, you know, I started setting up drums for the Commodores, setting up, you know, uh, pyrotechs and stuff like that. Then I'm graduating to now my ears become my instrument. So uh, I'm doing sound now. My godfather allowed me to mix a symphony orchestra at the Nomberg Bandshell in Central Park. I had no idea the difference. They had Macintosh, if anybody knows, the Macintosh brand. I had Macintosh preamps, Macintosh amps. And all I knew was the microphone, has to go through this to come out to the speaker. Right. On every amp, there's only one thing for the speakers, okay? That has to go here, right? I The speakers have to go here. Then I have to get this from this to the amp. Oh, okay, these have to go here. Then I have to get the microphones into the mixer. They brought, it was all class A equipment, a homemade speaker boxes, I didn't, but I'm, and, and I just, I'm just remembering these things that, you know, and like, uh, if you ever watch Dave Chappelle, Dave Chappelle said, listen, if you're a crackhead, you're going to, you're going to attract crackheads. If you're a bus driver, you're going to attract transportation. You're going to like things that move. I'm a gadget guy. So now I want to know how to do the sound to be with the band wherever they go. That was my goal. I want to be with the band because I noticed even when we go overseas, the extra, the extra filth, that the extra runarounds that don't have nothing to do with the band, they ain't going on this trip. It's going to be right. one guy in charge and the guy who's setting up the drums, the guy who's setting up the guitars, the guy who's setting up the keyboards. Right. The sound guy, and who else do you really need? <laughs> right. Right. That just proves that you you are a smart person. And for our, our listeners that are just tuning in, we have Douglas Stewart Gray. We're telling the story of um, the life as a roadie. Um, we're going to bring him back in a couple of seconds, and we're going to talk about um, him giving back. As you know, this show is about people you should know. Um, we only have guests on here that are adding value to someone else's life, returning something back to the community. We're all about giving back. And we're going to talk about his program that he's going to honor people, the unsung heroes, like a Hall of Fame. I, I Hopefully I got this right. Uh, uh, Frodis, no matter what skin color you are, no matter what band you represent, um, you deserve the recognition because there's no soundstage that hasn't been set up by somebody that doesn't have a name, a public name. There, There's not one instrument that's been set up on a stage that has not been tuned or placed in a certain place. There is no travel itinerary that's not being managed 
by someone that is not the lead vocalist or the lead player in a band or a group. And there is no headliner in the stories that be told of the life that a roadie lives and the life he wish he could live and the life he lives behind that he's not living because of his position on the road. But you are the unsung hero to popular uh, groups and stories that are that are sensationalized and told, and your story needs to be told. So before I go on, um, Stuart, Mr. Gray, how do people get in touch with you? Well, uh, I'm on Facebook. Uh, my my page is wide open. I don't uh, I don't hide anything. S T U A R T G R A Y uh, from New York City, and you'll see my all my pictures and all my uh, my presence there. Um, I do own uh, a trademark. Uh, I uh, trademarked. Uh, uh, it's called Correct the Culture, and uh, that's that's my email address. Correct the Culture at gmail dot com. Um, I am. I. I, I launched a bunch of uh products on the correct the culture and i'm trying to navigate now back into the culture um and as you can see i'm i'm very i'm very much uh sensitive and aware to how we can push you know our cultures forward you know in the spaces that we're allowed to be in uh, music and, and music and 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 live performance spaces are my strength so um, uh, I also belong to a, another uh, organization. We just had our conference in Atlanta. It's called Roadies of Color United. Um, they're also on Facebook and all of the platforms, Instagram, roadiesofcolorunited.com, or R-O-C-U. Um, the matter of fact, I can show you. Oh, don't don't leave don't leave the show. This no, one keep what, what it looks like. That's okay. Don't leave it. We'll we'll post it. We have it. And um, that's an organization that that's been more than ten years in the making. Um, you can toss that in. <laughs> I was listening to the phone. I said you can toss that. Yeah, yeah. Don't um, answer. I was uh, belong to uh, this this organization, Roadies of Color United uh, International. We are an international organization. Um, highlighting uh, the, the backstage and the people behind the scenes that you don't see um, in our industry that put on the festivals, the live concerts, um, the Super Bowl halftime shows. I have people that just went to, uh, um, I, I think it's in California this year where they had doing the halftime Super Bowl shows. And let, so um, let me interrupt you for a second because I, I want to make sure that Roadies United gets the love that it's supposed to because um, this is the thing that I wanted to wrap up the show with. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to do the, um, your story because I, I think it's a story that needs to be told. Um, Major League Baseball, uh, NFL, NBA, when they win a championship ring or runner-up for the championship, even the, the gardener, the person that opens the door for um, the people that, that come in, they all get a version of the championship ring in the entertainment uh, world. The only story we ever know is the headliners, whoever's name is on the top of the album, whoever's getting the big paycheck 
And you have put together something in order to recognize the unsung heroes in this business. Why was it important for you to put together like a Hall of Fame for roadies? Why, why are you giving back? What's your motivation behind that? Well, um, uh, and in, in, the, in the continuation of my story and my godfather, I have now um, been approved to get a street named after my godfather in Harlem. And that name will be? Benjamin Ashburn. It'll All be right. Benjamin Ashburn Way on the corner of 135th Street and Malcolm and uh, Adam Clayton Powell Boulevard in Harlem. Uh, we, we're getting the signatures together. But gotcha. what struck me as being sort of not being fair is everybody who gets a street named after him, the person has to be deceased. So that doesn't make sense to me. I am more for giving people their flowers while they can be at their own party. So our organization is built on uh, uplifting a segment of the of the industry that doesn't get too much attention because of partly our skin color, partly because of the groups that we work for. Um, back in when I was doing this, you know, those groups were more than plentiful. Now they're at a handful. Um, so our organization now is looking to attract the theater and the live concert and the technicians that want to travel the world, understand what it means to be the backbone of somebody else's dreams, because that's what we've been doing. And that's what I, I kind of gave into. I'm now the main support system of somebody else's dream, putting my dream on the side. Now, that's something that some people, you know, have to measure, take the temperature. I've been doing this now for 50 years. I've had at least one job in, in that in those years, at least one job in that in, in the year that uh, connects me to this industry. Um, I just was the main front of house sound engineer at Takeoff's Memorial in Atlanta at the State Farm at the State Farm Arena. You know, so again, you know, um, it takes a whole team of technicians to make that presentation to the world. It's seen by everybody, you know, people show up. And um, the one thing that I learned about being in this industry is creative people that make records or be on TV, they're still just regular people. Correct. And, and you know, the, 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 the word celebrity or fan or, or, you know, icon, you can't throw around lightly. You know, um, everybody has a bad day. Everybody has a good day. Nobody's perfect. But creative people um, have a, a different vibe, you know, and, and I'm, I'm attracted to creative people because I like being creative. I'm always thinking about, so that's why I created the Hall of Fame uh, envelope, so to speak, in our Rotors of Color platform that's on Facebook, Instagram, Rotors of Color United International. Um, we are connecting 
throughout the world, our technical brothers and sisters. Uh, we have a, a, a female that's out on Madonna now who's doing rigging with the lighting systems. We have females that, uh, that uh, at our, at our um, conference that we just had in Atlanta for three days, um, we have sound companies, we have uh, opportunities to, to work with these different companies with this, this kind of equipment, all the way from uh, cameras, projection, all the way to audio, lighting, now the world of LED, and now the world of drones. I'm taking my class to be a drone, a, a commercial drone pilot. I'm also a COVID compliance officer. I'm also a travel agent. So these things, you know, kind of coincide with the, the things that I'm attracted to. So I will say to young people, go, go to the spaces, to the things you're attracted to. You know, I didn't know what I was gonna be or wanted to do in this life. And, but I knew I loved music. Music has fed me. I've been to Japan 14 times. I've met Winnie Mandela. I've met some, some other, you know, uh, Dick Gregory. And just think about the planet and think about the, every night in every space of the world, every night, there's some kind of entertainment going on. There's somebody with a sound system and a microphone. At every little restaurant, from playing from the solo guy playing the piano in the, in the hallway to the biggest orchestras and bands, ballets, they all require attention and te technical people who want to work behind the scenes. It's just as fulfilling. Um, I, I, I did every. I did the St. Lucia Jazz Festivals. I, I've, you know, it's 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 all and, and it's all come back comes back to me as, as being connected to music. I listen to music daily. My genre of music was probably the most creative uh, space and time before sampling, before, you know, people got their own little computers, um, bands, you know, there are not a lot of bands anymore because everybody has their situation in front of them. There's no right. community. There's no bouncing off the bass player. Now, let me tell you something about Dayton, Ohio. The reason why Dayton, Ohio is Dayton, Ohio. Because of fun. Because that Christmas, all of the kids got musical instruments, professional. The whole, just think, it, it, I, I may, you know, I'm just, I'm not saying it happened, but all of those kids had professional instruments in their houses. Their mothers bought them drums, Mark, at, I worked. I worked with six groups from Dayton. I was slaves, front of house engineer when Steve Arrington and Steve Washington split up. Mm -hmm. It was me, Drac, Danny, Mark Adams, uh, and Steve Arrington and Roger Parker. Dude, yeah. all but but just think the same thing in Harlem. We all got unicycles. Just think if that whole block, we all got professional instruments. It, for, it forces you to pick it up and find something to do with it. Yep. Every kid in Dayton, Ohio, Mark Drack was 16 when he played that solo on, on slide. 16 yep. years old. Instruments. I want to, I have I have a thing now where I'm trying to get musical instruments to kids in Africa. 
I see on Facebook these kids draw pictures of keyboards and mimic to the records they're playing. They want a piano. You you, you know what I'm going to do? Um, you you probably already have a uh, connection. I'm going to connect you to Cool uh, in the Gang's uh, team because um, Mr. Bell has a foundation that he does in New Jersey that actually raises money. He has a golf tournament every single year to raise uh, money to give music uh, musical in instruments to high-risk kids to keep them off the street, to teach them music. I mean, when we were growing up, you know, that's what we had. That's what our options. There was a system and probably still is a system that didn't allow us of people of color to have the same opportunities. Some of us were able to, um, um, we, we haven't cracked that glass ceiling yet, but we we, we squeaked through um, some door in order to, to provide for our families the way that we've had. But that glass ceiling does um, e e exist. And, um, you know, I have to commend you for doing what you've done in this industry. I have to respect you for making the sacrifices for living your dream. I also have to commend you for using your gift. And that's what people don't realize. God has graced every last one of us with a gift. And you'll hear many motivational speakers and you sound like a uh, motivational speaker that should be talking to our youth today. It's to, in order to use those gifts. And there are some sacrifices that need to be made in order for you to accomplish everything you have and then to bring something back like you're doing with um, the roadies um, uh, program that you're doing. And again, it's open to all races just because you say roadies of color. It's not limited to just the people that are melanated. It's, it's open to everyone that is attached that have made a sacrifice in order to, to let someone else shine. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I respect you. I think you you have a story that needs to be told, and I know everyone when you know I announced this, they were they were looking for some dirt. Our show is not that type of um, show. Whatever secrets you have, and I know me as a professional fitness person, there are some stories that people want us to tell, but it will never tell, you know. And because part of being <laughs> part of a group, you've got to be trusted. Right. I, can, I I like to do I like to give I like to show, shoot shoot a shot with one of them out there. You know, listen, it's it's all it's all character. Let me tell you, there's a uh, if I may, if I have the time. All right, it, it, if it's gonna hurt somebody else, no, no, I, no. It's, you know, it's funny. It's funny. There's a there's a there's a uh, a Netflix uh, series called Tales of the Tour Bus. Right, I've seen that. Okay, so. Tales of the Tour Bus was created by Mike Judge, who created Beavis and Butthead. Right. So the animation mixed in with live shots, live, right? So the James Brown story. Everybody knows how Bootsy, James Brown, you know, found Bootsy Collins from Cincinnati. James was looking for the band, boom, boom. Bootsy played nothing but Bootsy's band and Catfish played nothing but James Brown music. So they were bound to come together, right? So backstage, Bootsy and Catfish are known to take acid. They're taking acid on a regular basis. You know, whatever strength or whatever they got going on, they're drinking it out the cups, right? They got acid in the cups. So James comes backstage and says, hey, man, Bootsy, give me some of what's in that cup. You can't handle this? 
This is not for you. Take your butt inside, get a uh, Bootsy. Give me the cup or else, right? So you've seen, you've seen the episode, Kevin. I don't know why you all strict the liar. So James <laughs> drinks the acid out the cup and they don't tell him. They don't tell him what it is. So hour later, he's doing ballets, <laughs> ballet spirouettes, <laughs> Lottie time in his own little capsule world. And I thought that was just great. You know, that's how it happens. And I, I don't think James ever touched this stuff again. <laughs> he could, that's all he needs. All right. So on, on that note, um, yeah. um, I'm going to I'm going to ask um, one more time. Let people know how to get in touch with um, roadies of color, how, you know, how to get in touch. And if they're going to refer someone to it, if someone wants to enter their name into it, explain how it works. We just had a um, a session. I, uh, was it September 28th at the 30th? You just yes. had this. In had a conference. Yes. Miss that. Yes. And it happens every every year. So it's an annual thing. And your honor pe people, I know you've got a plaque behind you that you've been uh, awarded something that you've you've earned. Mm -hmm. um, I know my my brother um, has been with Ohio players. He fits in that category with the work with Ohio players. And you've worked with many groups in Ohio and all over the world, Commodores and Hope Lionel Richie hears that and says, hey, what's up? And I hope the Jackson Five realize that, you know, <laughs> fan just as much as you, you you're a good person uh working with the groups i hope that people listening to your story look at some of the uh life-changing events and advice that you've given them because you i've been motivated by things you've said you've repeated some of the things that i say in my presentations when i'm speaking i'm proud of you young brother i am very proud of you Thank been you so in much. this business a long time made some sacrifices and had a lot of great success so tell everyone how they can reach you uh, Stuart Gray on Facebook, S-T-U-A-R-T-G-R-A-Y. Uh, my 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 uh, membership, my uh, you can. Uh, I have nothing to hide. I have all my pictures there. Um, correct the culture on Instagram. Correct the culture at gmail.com. Because I that 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 kind of filled my space of head when I created it. We have to correct our culture, and yep. when you correct our culture. There's a whole list. I left, I left it open for interpretation. So I didn't want to pinpoint, correct our music culture, correct our life culture, correct our job culture. It's a whole list. Correct our political cultures. So Great. that's well, what I want to that, live, leave the... We have a lot of people that follow us. Um, and we have a lot more people that listen to our podcast. And I hope they uh, view and share share this. Um, but I want to ask you one question because this is something that when I started this company, RMK Productions and the 10 United Podcast Network, it wasn't part of the original plan. I always say I'm building a plane while flying while running this business. I've had four people going on into my second year of doing this podcast, talking with Kevin and son. And I do another one on Sundays, motivational Sundays with Kevin and friends, which is an open platform talking about quotes. Mm -hmm. But I've had four people that when I've asked this question, that one of my listeners has granted them their wish. 
People always tell me that they can show me how to have thousands and, and hundreds of views and followers and whatever. I'm not not look, looking for that. I'm looking for people to surround myself, like my success in my business, of people that have a higher call to action, people that get stuff done. So my my whole circle is powerful, positive people, people that we're mentoring, people are growing up, or people that have been in, in, in the position that we want to be in that's giving back. They don't drive by an accident. They stop to help. So if I were to ask you, your one ask, if you have one thing that you can ask for that you would like to come true. Now, remember, there's four people in this world right now that have been guests on this podcast that some people go through their whole life and don't have one dream come true. And someone has granted them that, that gift. I don't know who it, who it is and when it will happen, but we do have people that are making a difference and giving back. What would your one ask be, sir, Mr. Gray? Um, that people understand that um, nothing is promised. Um, any, anything that's successful should be hard to get. And understand that there's space for everybody. There's space, everybody that's on this planet is here for a reason that they occupy a space for a reason. So let a person find their space, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. You know, it's hard, it's hard for us sometimes um, to stay in our lanes. We want to judge and not be judged. Stay in your lane, what the universe has provided to you. Say yes and, and, and share love and more, more than saying no and, and, and negativity, because it does transfer through everything that's living, plants, trees, and from the sky to the sea. Um, every living thing deserves a space. Let them have their space, because you can't take none of this with you. You know, you can't take any, any of it with you. Um, teach, teach, you know, the next generation what respect is, how to respect everything that's living and every every life that's on this planet. Um, the one thing I take from the Bible is do unto others. And I only use that because if you don't want anybody killing you, don't kill anybody. If you don't want anybody stealing from you, don't steal, from, you don't need to segregate it. Do unto others. Think of you in that person's shoes walking over me like I'm like I'm invisible you know you're talking over me like I don't know what I'm talking about you know those are but do unto others as you would have them do unto you is my main main message um brother um Douglas I know you as Stuart Gray Mr. Gray I'm grew up with a southern boy so I'm going to um acknowledge you you know it's it's amazing you know, I have yet to have nearly 200 people on this show and ask that question. And uh, I've only had one person ask something for their, their personal self. Um, you are the third person that you're asked turned into giving something to someone else. And um, that's a very selfless act to give that type of advice, to share your, your passion for what you do, to be compassionate and giving back to the human race 
So with that said, to my listeners, we've covered a lot of information. We have. I want to thank you for, for riding with us, listening to Douglas Stewart's Gray on Life of Being a Roadie. Um, who is that on your shirt? That's my godfather in the middle and two of the Commodores. All right. All right. All right. So um, <laughs> that's with, why that's why kind of, you know, give my give my 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 professional life. You know, he's, he's the reason that I've traveled the world. Um, and I always respect that. He, and, gave, he gave me he gave me the space because he knew that's the space I wanted to occupy. All right. So we're going to wrap this up. And um, again, connecting to your faith, you know, and that's one of the things that gives us life to believe in something. Dreams do come true. You have acknowledged the fact that life is hard. It takes hard work, but opportunity is plentiful for those that look for opportunity and do the work they have to do in order to do that. And if some something that was said changes your view, or changes the way you feel about not only the world, but humanity itself, then we've done our, our job. I want to thank everyone um, for following us. I want to thank everyone that has listened to us longer than four minutes. Um, this episode is brought to you by RMK Productions. If you like what you've heard and you want to see more of what we've done, not only today, but in, in the past, go to RMK Productions and Network on our YouTube page. If you'd like to be a guest, or have a story that needs to be told, go to info at rmkproductions.org. Put your information. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have you on a guest. We showcase people that you should know. My grandfather always said, when you get to a point in life that you can help someone, like Mr. Gray here, it is your duty to do so. He said, reach one, teach one. I'm going to drop another thing on your hashtag. Find 1,000 reasons to be kind to someone. doesn't kill you to give some love. And with that said, we're going to fade to black and thank Mr. Gray for coming in and sharing our story, sharing his story, sharing his experience, and giving us some, some advice and giving his heart to, to people that normally would have been forgotten. And with that said, we'll fade to black. 